guys. Welcome to the Ladies of LifeSite. I hope everyone's having a great week so far. We took a break last week as the LifeSite team gathered for our annual retreat, which is a time for all of us who work for LifeSite to refresh, brainstorm, strategize, and come together as a team to discern how our mission can serve you, our listeners, and readers better as we report truthful news. On our last episode, I was joined by my fellow Ladies of LifeSite co-hosts as we discussed how to help pregnant and postpartum mothers. If you're a mother or if you're wondering how to tangibly help a family who just had a baby or even how to support others in your community, I highly recommend giving that episode a listen if you haven't already. Today, we're continuing our conversation about community as we talk about how to keep your faith, self, and sanity while raising a family. Joining my fellow co-host Claire and I today is Debbie Kopp, a mother of 10 kids who homeschooled for 14 years. She grew up in a small town in southern Minnesota, went to college at the University of Minnesota, where she got her degree in accounting. She met her husband there, led a Girl Scout troop, and was voted Miss Congeniality in a beauty pageant. She got married right after college and had her first child nine months and five days after their wedding. She has had the privilege of being a stay-at-home mother to their six sons and four daughters. Debbie shares her unique perspective on how she found support as a mother and how she has been able to turn back around and help other new moms on their journeys as well. Additionally, she shares a little bit more about how her involvement as a spiritual director and how you, if you're looking for a spiritual director, can get started in finding one. So without further ado, let's welcome Debbie. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to hear from you as a just an experienced and seasoned mother and just as we continue this conversation of community. So before we really dive in, I'd love for you to share just a little bit more about who you are with our listeners. You know, you got married, had your first baby exactly nine months and five days after your wedding. You know, your entire marriage, in a sense, has been surrounded by kids. And so tell us a little bit about what that has just been like. What have been some of your greatest challenges or even just blessings through all of that? Share some of that aspect first before we dive in even more. Yeah, it was interesting how God works because I never really planned a large family necessarily. I just kind of assumed I'd have maybe four or five kids, but didn't really think beyond that. But he made it very clear especially with our first child coming so soon after we were married, it's like, okay, this is what you're going to be doing with your life right now. And so it was a blessing because I had easy pregnancies and healthy children and really no major issues at all. So that was certainly made a big difference. You know, I can't imagine if I had been sick for nine months or if I had children with with severe health issues, you know, I can't imagine that I would have had 10 children. But it's beautiful now that they're all adults, the youngest is 20, just to see them interact with each other, and how much fun they have, how much they enjoy being together. Even the um, oldest will have all of his brothers over to play board games. So even though there's a 15-year age difference between the oldest and the youngest boys, they still just really bond together very well and have a great time. So that part has been a real great blessing. One of the things that has always interested me is you being a mother of 10. How is that like when when you were raising them when they were really little? How did you keep your cool? And your sanity. And really, honestly, I want to know how you kept your faith, because having met you, you're just a woman of such great faith and have led so many people to their faith 
And I, w- I would love to hear more about that too. Well, I think it really comes down to the family rosary being a key part of our faith life. We started that at quite an early um, time in our marriage after having children. We also, in early years, would try and go to daily mass quite often with the children when we were in our homeschooling days and we had an, an afternoon mass. So just having those devotions and the sacrament of the Eucharist to be able to be our grounding point was huge. And we still do the daily rosary, even though there's just my husband and I and and just two boys home for the summer here who are leaving soon. But even if my husband's on the road traveling, he will call in and we'll do it together over the phone. And and so that's just always been an important piece of it. But I also think, you know, looking back, when they were all young, it's really all a blur. I have no idea how I got through it all. It was one day at a time. And I know there were times that it was pretty overwhelming because I'm I'm an introvert and I like quiet time. And you can imagine with 12 people in the house, there's not much quiet time. So that was always a struggle for me. But my husband was really good about kind of seeing when I needed a break. And he would take some of the kids and go to the swimming pool, or he'd let me get away and go to mass by myself. So that was really a blessing for me, too, to have him have that awareness of when I was starting to get overwhelmed. And also, just for full disclosure, for quite a few years, we had uh, a live-in mother's helper. Because when I was homeschooling, as many as six at a time, really couldn't handle taking care of the little ones while I was schooling the entire time. So we had somebody who was there to kind of be a nanny on the side. And that that was just worked beautifully for us to have that extra pair of hands and eyes to help out with the little ones. That's just amazing. I I think, um, yeah, Claire, we talked about that in one of our last episodes when we were talking about supporting you know, a pregnant mom or postpartum mom and just being able as a mom to ask for help or recognize when you need help. And I think I'm at that point right now where we are looking at, you know, having our babysitter come a little bit more frequently. And I do think there are times and seasons as a mom where you do need to get that extra pair of hands or I don't know, maybe there are some super moms out there, but I do think there are some times as a mom where you do feel like you need that help. But, you know, as a mom of 10, you know, what are some ways that you found community as a mom? Because homeschooling, kind of being in the trenches of it, for you personally, what are some ways that you have found support and community? During the homeschooling days, we were involved in a co-op and that was key just to for both myself to be able to be with other moms who were in the same type of position, but for my kids as well, for them to see that this was a normal thing to experience, that they weren't weird because they weren't in the schools. And and just to be able to have that social time and that time to go out on excursions or to have a special project that they're working on together with other families, that was that made a big difference for us. And our kids too were involved in soccer and band and Girl Scouts and a number of activities. We we spent a lot of time in our 12-passenger van, that's for sure. <laughs> they certainly weren't 
isolated by any means. They got a well-rounded vision of things when they were going through those homeschooling years. But another thing that we that I did after we started putting some of the kids into Catholic schools, and I still had little ones at home, I had a a friend who lived less than 10 minutes away, and she had kids around the same age. And we would, one day a week, we'd do what we called kid swap. So she would bring her kids over to my house in the morning and have some free time. And then she'd come back at lunchtime and take her kids and my kids. At that time, it was just maybe three or four of my kids, the younger ones, and take them back to her house so that I could have the afternoon free. And that was absolutely vital for both of us. Whether it meant we could have some prayer time, whether we could go and run errands without having children with, or whether it was just to sit and think a complete thought without getting interrupted. That was just so crucial for the both of us and really appreciate it. And the kids had a blast because they got to go to somebody else's house and play. That's awesome. (laughs) We have a family down the street from us that we do something similar because since COVID happened, the mom has to work remotely from home a couple of days a week. And so we will text each other and say, hey, does your daughter want to come over and play for a couple hours? And so she'll send her daughter over to play with ours, and then they'll go back to their house after about two, three hours of playing and play over there for two or three more hours. <laughs> so it really does help to find those niches and those, you know, people who live close by to have that that way to get through it and find those ways to support each other too, you know, as a family, and as a mom. Because I, I think without community it is so much harder to do that. And I do think that, at what age did you start doing that? You said it was with your youngest. We had started putting some of our kids into the school. So we probably had maybe kindergarten and down. So, you know, probably like three, four, five years old, somewhere in there. Well, I kind of want to switch gears just a little bit because I know that you've been a member of Regnum Christi, a lay ecclesial movement, and you've been a lay spiritual director for 15 years. So tell us a little bit about that and what made you decide to become a spiritual director. Sure. And that's definitely not something that I chose. It was really an opportunity that was offered to me because they saw that there's such a need in today's society, and even you know back then, 15 years ago, that there's so many people who could really benefit from spiritual direction, but the priests aren't always as available. And so there's more and more lay people being trained and being called to be these spiritual directors. And when I was first asked about it, felt very, very inadequate. And I thought, why? Why am I being asked? You know, this is crazy. How could I ever do that? And I just prayed about it. And God just gave me some peace and led me to understand that, that he would be helping me with this. This wasn't just me giving advice to people, that the Holy Spirit would be working through me to help these other women. And, of course, there was training provided and ongoing formation throughout the years. But really, it's still, you know, even after all these years of doing it, it's just a very humbling postulate because I will learn so much from the women that I'm guiding because they're just these beautiful souls who are so transparent and so open and so faithful and so eager to seek out God's will. 
And I, I swear I learned just as much, if not more, from them as they're hearing from me. And it's so common that during a session, I will hear words coming out of my mouth that I know I needed to hear. And that's totally the Holy Spirit working. And I, and I leave those sessions going, oh, yeah, I need to take that to heart and to prayer. And it's just really amazing how, how things happen during that time. It's really beautiful. But again, very humbling because I still don't feel like, you know, I'm, quote, qualified. For those of us who don't have a spiritual director, which... I'm ashamed that I don't have one. What advice do you have like on how to look for one or like some practical tips? And I live in a pretty liberal diocese. So finding one around here is kind of, it's kind of hard, but what's your advice on how to look for one? And I guess what goes on in a spiritual um, direction too? Cause I think that's something that not a lot of people have had. Well, I would say as far as how to look for one, um, I would begin with your own parish priest or a priest that you know, that, that you trust and know well, just to see, first of all, do they have availability? And if they don't really, they might be able to point you to someone that may. Second of all, you could check with your diocese. I know here in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, they have a list of a number of people who do direction. Some are through retreat centers, both lay people and, and religious that give spiritual direction, and some are on their own, you know, that have been doing it for a number of years. And, and there's also more and more resources coming online as far as groups that are, are giving a lot more formation to people to become directors spiritual directors, and they have resources for reading and so on. I'm seeing more and more of that. Fortunately, it's a great need in the church. There's so many people that could really benefit from it. Kind of depends on where the guidee is at in their, their state in life and where they're at in their spiritual life. Sometimes for those who are just kind of beginning, uh, for me, it's all often mothers of young children. So it tends to be at the beginning a little more of practical tips on how to deal with your children, how to support your husband, how to order your life. And then it moves from there into the more spiritual. It's definitely not a counseling session by any means. The the primary part of it is to allow the person who's coming for direction to do most of the talking so that they are able to share what's going on in their life, to share any insights they've gotten in prayer, to share what their struggles are, what they think God is calling them to work on. So we try and have some structure to it where you have, you make a resolution at the end of one session after talking through things, you know, what is it that God, you think God is asking you to work on? at this point for the next month or whatever, until you come again. So that they leave with a concrete resolution of something to work on and, and some consistency and a path to follow. Another really helpful thing is to help them to discover what their main root sin would be and what a contrasting virtue would be to combat that. And so then they talk about what are the ways I can work on this virtue to combat my 
my sin that that keeps coming up, the things that you keep seeing yourself confess over and over again. That's a huge clue. Asking a loved one, you know, what do you think my main problems are? That's a very humbling way to get an answer as well. But the the more self-knowledge you have, the better you know what your path will be to try and become more of an image of God, become closer to Christ and deeper in your intimate relationship with him. For people who don't know themselves well, it's really hard for them to make progress. So that's a key point is kind of digging down and looking at their behaviors, their natural responses to things and saying, okay, well, let's back up. Why does that bother you? Why do you get angry when this happens? What's really going on there? So just some of that kind of helping them to peel off the layers and learn more about themselves. That's a great starting point. Did you have a spiritual director or mentor when you were a young mom? And if not, do you wish that you had? No, I did not. It probably wasn't until I, gosh, maybe had eight children that I was able to start receiving some of that direction. And I, you know, there would be occasional chances here and there of, you know, going to a retreat, for instance, and um, hearing some wonderful, inspiring talks or challenging talks and being able to have spiritual direction at a retreat, but nothing regular and ongoing. So I think that it would have made things tremendously easier, I'm thinking, (laughs) going back and just having a little, you know, that guidance to be able to see how to just kind of set aside all the craziness of life with 10 children and be able to focus in more on, okay, what what is God calling me to do today in this crazy time of my life? What are the priorities? Because I think, especially as women, we can get so down on ourselves. And it's so often that we put higher expectations on ourselves than God even does. So we we do that because we're comparing ourselves to others so often. And that's, that's a dangerous path to go down. So we really have to work hard to really discern, okay, what is it that God wants of me? Knowing where I am in my life right now, do I have four young children? Am I homeschooling? Is my husband away at work or on the road? All of that means that your life is going to look very different from someone, say, like myself right now, whose children are almost all out of the house and is not working outside the home. So it's taking all of that together. and, And I just think it would have been a huge blessing to be able to have that when I was going through those crazy years. Yeah, I think that as a new mom... At least when you're starting out as a mom, maybe with your first or second kid, I have found that you, you're trying to just kind of get through it and figure out who you are as a mom. And you're trying to kind of figure out, you know, how do I take care of these little ones and balance all of the, you know, chores and you're kind of getting your foot underneath you. And for me, it's taken me, you know, we just had our third to now kind of feel like I'm recognizing the areas that I do need more help or more direction or guidance and finding those areas where you can go and get different types of help or get direction or get guidance. Um, You know, I don't have a spiritual director currently, but I do know that it has been helpful, you know, to talk through things with somebody like a mentor 
even if that's all that you have as a resource. Just because I think as a mom, you are really trying to figure it out, especially in the beginning. And I wish that somebody had told me earlier on to get a mentor, even, you know, right away with our first, just because you really kind of struggle for a while. And then you finally realize you really don't have to do it all on your own. And there are so many other women who have been there, you know, and tried different things and have figured out what worked or what didn't. And so what advice would you have for, you know, a young mom who wants to maybe have mentors in her life, but she just doesn't know where to start or, you know, how to even begin with it? I mean, you know, you give a a good recommendation for, you know, looking to your parish and all of that for spiritual direction, but do you have any other advice for young moms? Even without considering spiritual direction to, to your fact about wanting a mentor and wanting to learn from others, I think the, the the church is a great place to look for that, just to be able to strike up friendships with people of different generations or different stages in their life. I, I just came across a little article that talked about how a parish had a tea for young moms and then grandmothers together. So they could do exactly what you were talking about, just be together, learn from each other, especially for the young moms, be able to bounce things off of these more experienced women. And I just think that's that's so beautiful because we can be so isolated as moms with young children that we were, number one, afraid to ask for help, or number two, just don't even know where to turn. So to be able to have people that you can talk through things and realize this is a normal thing you're going through, that other people have gone through these same issues, and to just get some of those tips, that's that's so important. You know, it's harder and harder in our culture when people, especially during a pandemic, when people are so isolated, excuse me, but it's harder and harder to reach out. People are so busy. And so I think, you know, one of the main things of being a mentor is just to be available. So to find someone who's willing to just set aside some time and just be there, be open, be available for questions, be able to help. And it doesn't have to be anything formal, you know, just hanging out at the park or going for a walk or having coffee. I think the school system itself tends to, you're so used to being with people of your same age that we get out of that habit of that intergenerational stuff and being able to to learn from our elders like they have done in many other cultures. We don't have that as much here and it, and we miss out on so much knowledge and incredible information as a result of that. You know, what's some advice on what are some of the best resources maybe or books or groups or things that throughout your marriage and as a mother that you could recommend to our listeners? I mean, I think, you know, finding mentors, especially through our parish can be so helpful. I personally was I actually read the idea in a book. I hadn't even thought of finding kind of like a mentor mom, but I've been reading this really great book for moms right now called Desperate. But she recommends in there to get find a mentor mom, you know, find have a community that surrounds you. Um, and if you don't have that, to pray for it, to pray for God to bring those people in your life to do that. But maybe some, if you could give our listeners maybe some more tangible resources too of maybe some of your favorite books or things throughout your um, marriage and, you know, through motherhood that really have been helpful for you. One program that I was um, able to experience and that is still going on is through Cana Family Institute. 
And they're actually based here in the Twin Cities, but they have programs in a number of different states and also some some things that are online as well. But that was a they had programs for mothers of young children and then some for um, fathers. The mothers program was much more which much bigger and more available, and the fathers one is is kind of restarting again now. But it was a time of being together with another with a group of young moms and an animator who helped lead the group and they would they study the teachings of the church for part of the meeting and they have sharing time and so it's really learning about the faith and and learning how to apply that to your family and again they would do a gospel reflection and they would have a a a resolution for the group that the group would come up with together to do before the next lesson so it was kind of that same type of okay, we're going to have this piece of learning about our faith. We're going to have the piece of how do we apply this to our family. And we're going to have the piece of the homework, of the take it home and, and apply it. So I thought that was just a beautiful, beautiful program that has really helped a lot of families. A book that jumps to mind right away is one that I read a long time ago, but every few years keeps coming back to mind. And is, you've, you're probably familiar with it. It's A Mother's Rule of Life. In fact, I just pulled it out again this last week, even though I'm kind of past that mothering stage. It just has a lot of beautiful information on how to, it talks about scheduling and it talks about working in your your prayer time and discerning what God's calling to you at this moment and just trying to get a little structure to it. I think that's that's been a great resource. We have a chat going with a lot of the ladies and our staff, and a lot of them are moms. Um, and moms of like really young kids. And we asked them what they wanted to ask you. And one of the things that came up a lot was mealtimes and dinner prep and and how the, you handled that. I think that can get overwhelming for a lot of women. And I was just wondering how you handled that, feeding a family of 12. Mealtimes were, as far as the food itself, it was very, very simple. I I just knew that that was not going to be a huge priority as far as fancy meals and lots of different selections and so on. Everybody sat down together and everybody had the same thing to eat. I just see so often in these days that mothers are giving their children different things at each meal. I mean, different children, different things at each meal. And they're making it just so much more difficult for themselves. We would have assigned chores. So we actually had this paper plate chart with that rotated. We had a separate center part on it that would rotate and we would have people assigned to set the table, wipe the table afterwards, do the dishes, help with the meal time, sweep the floor afterwards, and and so on. So that they all had, they worked in teams, an older one with a younger one. And then each week we would rotate that. So that was mealtime. And then we also had a same type of chart, but for chore time where every day they had to do a quick cleanup of a certain area of the house. So those were listed around the outside of the paper plate. And then the names were written on the inside and they, those rotated every week. So they knew they had basic expectations of they live in this family, they get fed, they have a place to sleep, <laughs> and they can pitch in and help from a very young age, probably starting at about three years old. Well, and I think, too, part of it is giving kids the opportunity to learn 
even though it seems like such a small task of having them be involved in those ways with helping at mealtime or helping with little little chores. I've really been thinking a lot lately about how we can give our children that gift of learning how to do those things themselves. Um, you know, because I grew up watching my mom, you know, cook and clean and do all those things, but it was never really taught to me how to do a lot of it. So I think if we can, you know, especially when you have so many kids and you kind of need to have everybody help out and do their part, but it is a gift to them at the same time when they can learn, even from a young age, I think, how to do those things so that they aren't feeling completely lost, you know, when they are, you know, a mom one day or whatever it may be. So I really think that's such a neat aspect. One other point that I wanted to make is we would all sit down together and we would pray before mealtime. And then no one would leave the table until we were finished and we had prayed after the meal as well. And I think that made a huge difference too. It was, they, they knew that just because they were done eating doesn't mean they could get up and run away, but that they could stay there and converse with the rest of the family and have that relaxed well relaxed if you can be with that many kids around but relaxed quality time together that's probably I mean that's a huge part of why your children are able to get along and to be able to hang out with each other they were forced to spend a lot of time together (laughs) the other question that came out is and I don't think there's an answer to this is how do you get any sleep you know, especially when you have real little ones who are, you know, if you're nursing or toddlers who are still waking up during the night, that's so difficult and so exhausting. And I was never one to really nap much either. So I, I can distinctly remember sitting on my floor, leaning against my couch, reading a book to several of the kids and falling asleep mid-sentence. And it, it's just a reality that you will be tired as a young mom. And I think really what's important, though, is to be very careful and understand what that tiredness does for you, because so many of us, it can, we can have short tempers, Uh, we can, or, or we can relax our expectations with our kids and get into the mindset of, oh, I just can't wait till this day is over. And none of that is healthy. Yes, you can be realistic about yes, I'm exhausted, I don't feel like I can function to my full capability, but these children still need me, and I'm still going to try and do my best to be present to them and to be cheerful as much as I can, because we want them to learn those skills as well, that just because they're having a rough day or because they're tired doesn't mean they can just throw everything out the window and and be mean to each other or mean to their parents. We have to model that. But the other thing also is, as Lisa alluded to before, is that asking for help. If you are at your breaking point and you just are so tired you can't even think properly or function properly, that's that's, so important that you need to reach out and say, you know, I, I really need to be, have some quiet time, be able to take a nap. How can I make this happen? Or how can we have expectations in our family that after a certain time of evening, it's quiet time for everybody, whether they're asleep or not, just having some quiet time is, is, can be beneficial as well and restorative. So that's another 
chance to um, work on that a little bit. I think that's such a good perspective just because it is true that, you know, I think on the daily that we can become so tired and it does affect us in so many different ways. I mean, when you're overtired, you're just, you do have a shorter temper, you do have um, less patience or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think just finding once you reach your limits or understanding your limits, I think that is so, so important. So I really appreciate that you shared that. And because I think that's the reality is that, you know, we all have, like you said earlier, you know, we all need to understand our limits and who we are and understand ourselves a little better. And I, one, uh, you know, little piece of advice that somebody shared with me when I was a brand new mom was just about how motherhood, I mean, it, it, every single day there's opportunity where all of these mundane tasks that you have, all of these, all the tiredness, all of it makes you more holy because it, it humbles you more and more each day. It takes away your selfishness, keep, you know, focusing your eyes on others more. And so it really is kind of sanctifying you through this process of being a mother, which is really beautiful when you think of it that way. And so you can offer up these areas of difficulty and challenges, offering them up to our Lord, I think is so beautiful because it, it gives us an opportunity to use that um, for good, you know, especially for our kids to see that as an example. I love that you shared that. I, I tell people so often that I that God knew that I had a lot to learn, and that's why he gave me so many kids. You know, part of what we're doing, a big part of what we're doing as parents is we are forming these little people to be well-rounded, wholesome adults. And so to to have that in the backs of our minds that, yes, these children are, are crazy active and noisy and on the move and impulsive, all of that right now, but someday they're going to be adults and maybe have children of their own. And, and my role as a parent is to help them learn the skills that they will need to be a functioning adult at that point. So that can kind of help to temper the, the difficulties that we're going through as well. Your daughters and sons-in-law must thank you a lot. Well, that, that'd be a good question to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to have lots of sons and daughters-in-law and what's the dynamic like in your family now that that they're part of the family. It's really interesting because you get, we have six that are married now and, and just to have others coming in from with their own backgrounds and their, how they were raised and all of that and trying to meld it into how the cop children were raised. And that can be an interesting dynamic. Sometimes it can, can go very smoothly and other times it's, it's a little rough around the edges. And so you just have to give a lot of grace and, and keep reminding yourselves and sometimes reminding them that you didn't have the same experiences we did. We didn't have the same experiences you did. So we may not fully understand your perspective on things, on certain things. And, and other times it's just easy and, and beautiful. But, you know, I really just think that's life in general. There's, there's a whole mix of the beautiful and, and the struggles and all of that is, is an opportunity to really learn again about more about yourself and more about others and who God is bringing into your life. In our world, there are just so many different views, so many different perspectives. Everybody's raised different ways. And so I think that's such a beautiful 
way to put it and to to help even our just our listeners who are, you know, kind of navigating different relationships and all of that. So thank you for sharing that. I think we'll we'll come to a close here soon, but I do have one more question for you. Just with your youngest about to go off to college, you're entering kind of this next season as a parent. So what does this next season look like for you? That's a great question. And, and I really am not quite sure how to answer that. You know, obviously we've had, since we've already experienced a number of our children leaving home and getting married and so on, we've had that experience and working through some of those challenges. But to have the last one entering that phase is is a whole different feeling if you <laughs> want to put it that way. And it, it's really kind of an opportunity for my husband and myself to say, okay, now what? It's back to that, okay, Lord, who am I? And what are you calling me to do now? Because I'm not needed in the same way as I have been for many years. And yet, You've given me all these gifts, and I and I have a responsibility to use them how you want me to use them. And so it's just that constant discernment process of each of us individually discerning that, but also the opportunity to kind of look at our marriage again and to say, okay, what, what have we kind of let slide a little bit because we've been in this busyness of so many children and getting them through schooling and all of those things that are involved in raising children and 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 what do we need to kind of tweak and get and be able to reconnect on a deeper level ourselves gosh well we just appreciate everything you shared today debbie you and your husband are just such a gift to our world and such a gift to your children we're just so grateful for your time and just all of your insight and advice i know our listeners we got a lot out of it today i know and i know our listeners i'm sure have as well so thank you so much for joining us and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this week's episode Um, be sure to check out the links in the description and be sure to subscribe to our email list so you can get notified when the next episode goes live as well And you can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to contact us with any questions or recommendations on on topics that you'd like to hear in future episodes, you can email us at ladies at lifesightnews.com. 